0: Hello, and welcome to episode 11 of the Creative Writing Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by nobody, because nobody likes advertisements. All right, let's get started with the show. On today's show, we have a special guest from the Great White North. News. Slight entertainment and Maybe we break down some model numbers, you know what I mean? And a quick movie review. That's a lot of sh A lot of wheelie bro. A lot of wheelie It's a lot of stuff for one episode. I think I'm going to cut that wheelie part out of there, by the way. So, podcast listeners, I just want to say that, you know, the reason I love podcasting versus radio, don't get me wrong, I love a lot of radio, and I've seen radio shows come and go, um, lights went out on the uh weekend bike radio show i forget what the hell but Br- brock glover's show down in in san diego was called it went dark at least pit pass moto is still around but all of that aside the reason i love podcasting is because it's a much more intimate form of broadcasting to me and uh You can reach out, I don't know, I just feel like when you're a radio fan, when you're a fan of a radio show, I should say, that you're one of like a bajillion and, you know, they they might reach out and you get your phone call in, you know, once in a lifetime, whatnot. But as far as podcasting, for me at least, you know, I'm no uh, bajillion follower podcasting guy. Um, You can reach out to audience and they can reach out to you and it's much more intimate, I feel. And, uh, I have to shout out to, uh, Chris Singh Sime from Waukesha, Wisconsin, the number one super fan. And, uh, he, uh, we were chatting it up on Facebook and, and, uh, he seems like a really super interesting guy. So, you know what? I decided why not have him on the show to talk about what he does and who he is. And, uh, so that's just what I did. So let's, uh enjoy a little interview and we talked for like two hours uh you know it was like kind of like catching up with an old buddy so it was great but obviously I won't be able to put a two-hour podcast into here and it turns out a lot of it was me just blabbing and talking just to hear myself talking blab go figure me do that so I edited a lot of myself out hopefully enough to keep your guys interested and, and let Chris get his story across so without further ado, why don't we get to the interview? And a little heads up beforehand, uh, some of the audio was bad on my end. And so if I ask him, I had a recorder running there with me. So sometimes I might ask him a question. I just use the audio from the recorder rather than my phone conversation with him. All right, right, let's just enough behind the scenes. Let's get to it. So we all know your name is Chris Singsheim, and you're from Waukesha, Wisconsin. But why don't you tell us your name and where you're from?
1: Uh, my
2: name is Chris Singsheim from uh, It's Waukesha, Wisconsin. First off, how the hell is the weather up there? Because I, I was going to complain to you that it's 58 here and it's windy and rainy. And then I thought, man, that's like a spring day probably <laughs> to you, you know.
1: Yeah, it, we'd take anything in the fifties right now. Today we actually got it close to forty, but it's rainy. A little so bit of break it's... from the from the Arctic freeze, but we had a. They were expecting a pretty good, uh, pretty good snowstorm
2: to come rolling in. So the the break is when it's raining and it's like near freezing.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. What what
2: a, what a break. <laughs> to...
0: So, what is it that you do in Waukesha?
1: As far as for work, what I do is uh, welder, fabricator. Uh, we work on, what I do at my work is uh, big semi-truck dump trailers. Oh, yeah. Uh, they, they take them out and they flop them over on their sides and they bring them to my work. And we rebuild them, repair them, weld them back together and whatever other custom stuff they want. So Rad. Yeah. A lot of, yeah, th- a lot of metal work, a
2: lot of welding and
1: torching and cutting.
2: Uh, So how'd you get into motorcycling, uh, living up there in that part of the world? It it goes back to it actually, it started with cars and Uh like
1: hot rods and drag cars. Is the uh, guy that got me into bikes was a friend of mine that actually was an automotive engine machinist. He was the one that did the machine work on my car motor. Well, he would always be riding his hot rod bikes to work. And it just kind of was growing on me. So the first bike I ever bought was originally hanging from the rafters in his garage. But he was a bike guy, and it ended up being a 83 GS 1100. I, yeah, I bought it as a frame, and it was like my first project bike, and started putting that together. And after that, the cars started to kind of fade away.
2: Right, right. Yeah, so is that what kind of got you into – I mean, are you a Suzuki, uh, fanatic too? I mean, I noticed that you got, that looks like you got a Gixxer, uh, drag bike. Mm-hmm. And is that yeah, is I, just cause like you got it and it was like something you knew, so you kind of stuck with it? Uh, I'm
1: not really brand loyal to anything. It's just that with the, with the drag racing and being so hard on parts. Yeah. The Suzuki is just, uh, it's the dominant brand. So it right. doesn't matter where I'm in the country, what track I'm at, there's a dealer or somebody else at the track with something similar that I can always kind of keep the bike alive.
2: Yeah, that's and important. Then, Being able to ask yeah, for help and then have somebody hand you a part. I mean, that that goes a long way.
1: Yeah, and, and then, then uh, the, the next best brand for that would be Probably the Kawasaki's. Other than that, it's just—it's it, not that any one bike is particularly better than the other. It's just uh, uh, convenience of parts and uh, durability, to just be able to keep them alive. So you kind of go with the mainstream of what's out there, right? There's yeah. a few odd ducks, but
2: yeah, yeah I'm
1: not—I'm not, <laughs> not like all hardcore jixer brah.
2: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's all about the Gixxers. Yeah, aside from motorcycling, uh, what do you do when you're not motorcycling? At like this time of the year, I imagine that you stay inside and kind of semi-hibernate.
1: Yeah, that, like, it's hard not to just because it gets so cold that, you know, you you just you want to come inside and be warm and find something to do. But uh, what I usually end up doing is I go out to the shop and – I'll work on I do a lot of like little metal working like art projects almost just okay, cool. I'll 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 see something and like I will like recently I started making knives. huh. It sounds it sounds odd, but it takes up no bench space and it's it's small work compared to you know, working on these huge semi trailers at work.
2: Oh yeah, right, and right, right.
1: And if I'm waiting on parts and stuff for the motorcycles, I don't have to. I don't have to spend hundreds of dollars to go make something out of metal, just like just like have little pieces of metal art, uh, candle holders. Uh,
2: I made right. a wine
1: rack out of some horseshoes. Mm-hmm. In.
2: that's rad. Just, right. Do you, you know, sell I'd that stuff?
1: The ideas and
2: I, I've sold a
1: few things to people I don't know, just through word of mouth. But for the most part, I kind of. I'll see something I want to make and I know right away that somebody I know would appreciate it. Right. So I'll just, most of the stuff I give away and it, do you it, do? it all, it it all transfers over into other stuff too. Like, just like you said, by having your mind active, you find out that, you know, say down the road, I get into a situation where I'm struggling with something I can be like, Oh, oh I remember on this one project I did this and that was helping me with that.
2: Right. So like right. Never
1: from uh, a non school.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And that's one thing I, I totally uh, agree with. And then I'm I'm really try to push with, you know, I have two little kids and I try to push with them is that, hey, what you learn now is going to help you down the road, uh, uh, you know, and it's because you would not have thought to troubleshoot it in this way if you hadn't done it, hadn't experienced it in some other way first, you know what I mean? As far as like artwork and stuff, do you do... You like you said, you just you get something in your mind and you just you'll go for it and see what you can come up with.
1: Yeah, um, like I've done trophies for certain like uh, drag race events locally. Nice. Like somebody will be like, "Hey, do you, yeah, do you want to?" You know, you've, you've seen them out there. Everybody's you know taking you know pieces of engine parts and making trophies and stuff out of them. But it's it sounds so random. But it's like you have the first, nobody's going to be disappointed by something they don't know what they're getting. Yeah. So it's yeah, like. Whatever you make, it's gonna be cool. Yeah, that type of stuff all the way down to uh I'll take uh scrap pieces of welding wire and I'll do like wire framed uh like like take an airplane and make the just like the oh. skeleton out of welding wire.
2: Right, right. Are you using the so big rods then or is that just out of like a like what gauge wire is that?
1: Like thir thirty thousandths regular okay, yeah. wire
0: Hey, it's me again, real quick. I want to just tell you that we are going to put some of Chris's pictures of his artwork and the projects that he's made. They are ultra cool. We're going to throw them up on our website and hopefully stick them with the uh, Facebook posts that we stick with this episode. So be looking for those. It's awesome stuff. I guarantee it.
2: Um, do you do, like, MIG and TIG and, you know, ARC and, like, pretty much everything? Yeah, mostly
1: MIG just for the speed. Yeah. But then uh, a lot of, like, the real fine detail stuff, we'll do some TIG. Uh, I really like brazing just because yeah. nobody does it anymore. Yeah. And it's it's kind of therapeutic to just be kind of controlling that flame and feeding the rod in. and Yeah. Like, you know, like a bra- quiet time.
2: Brazing was uh, really something I liked because it was, it's almost like a fine-tuned sort of welding. You know what I mean? And yeah, and not to get in there and worry about grinding all that, you know, grinding yeah. off any bead or anything yeah. like that. So yeah, that's cool. That's you really help. cool. I miss working at a mm-hmm. shop because we, you know, I had, we had good, good stuff at our disposal. So. <laughs> Yeah, um, it
1: makes a big difference when you're not you're not struggling. You get to the, the equipment's on par, and you can just you know you can look like a pro.
2: Yeah, yeah. Do you have all that stuff at home, or is it, do you do you like spend evenings after work in the shop? A lot of what I do would be
1: after hours at work, just because of the amount of equipment we have there. But um, I have so many friends that are into like fabrication with uh, race cars and motorcycles that. There isn't a, there isn't a garage I I can stop by that doesn't have a TIG welder in the corner, you know. Right, it's, right. It's convenient.
2: That's awesome. That is so awesome. It's cool to be, because I used to be into cars. I mean, ultimately, that's what got me into motorcycles, was me and a, a buddy of mine that used to um, autocross and stuff. We, You know, he got a bike, and kind of the same path you did. So it was still cool to be friends with all these other people that had, you know, cars and whatnot and all the you know if one guy had a you know a bead roller the other guy would have you know an english wheel somebody would have the well you know what i mean like everybody had some so it is it yeah. is nice uh to have that sort of connection still even if you're not doing the cars anymore to you know just have access to the to the know-how and the tools yep. for sure
1: so it's like in any given saturday it's like a social event to go from like garage to garage to see who's working <laughs> on what and
2: Right. If you got
1: something, <laughs> like you said. You got something you need, you know, doctored, and you don't have the tool to do it. You know, but hey, let uh, see if somebody wants to go get uh, get wings, and I'll stop by his garage and my part welded up or something.
2: Instead of a pub crawl, it's almost like a garage crawl, just from place to place to to do stuff. <laughs> That's a per- perfect way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. Um, so yeah, so no snowmobiling or any any no crazy snow. Uh, <laughs> you don't put spikes through your tires and take your bike out drag racing on the lake or anything like that.
1: <laughs> no, we no we, we used to uh, we used to ice race the four wheelers. A bunch of us had the four wheelers and we we'd do that. But we started getting married and having kids, and it kind of died out. And for a long time, yeah. it was hard to even find a place to go. Like everybody was. Just cracking down and banning the banning four wheelers and dirt bikes everywhere. There was just no place to take them. Yeah, and uh, they're they're getting a little more lenient now. There's more stuff opening up, but most of my you know toy money goes into the drag racing. So it's like, well, I could buy this other bike and set up for ice racing, or I can actually finish putting my <laughs> other bike back together. Right? <laughs> you know, it's like it's all it's like the wants and needs argument nonstop.
2: You can you can do two things half assed, or you can just do one and do it the right way. <laughs> you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I I'd, I'd have sixty hobbies if my if my wallet would allow it. But
2: yeah, oh, I try to, I, and that's why they all I suck at all of them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so now it's time to hear something you might not have known about Chris, and something you might not have expected from such a complex character. Let's get to it.
1: Off weekends, though, I would usually I'll, I'll hop in the truck and go uh, kind of a history buff, so I'll go find, like, uh, a ton of historic sites in Wisconsin, so I'll go wake uh, right. like, up on a Saturday morning do a little research about something, uh, you know, that was a big deal in the past, and I'll go find it, or, you know, there's county Park's. State parks yeah. everywhere that usually got some historic significance. So,
2: yeah, you're a man Those after my own something. heart. I I uh, I used to do that stuff all the time, especially before I had kids. I would just get in my car and drive all day and go find something. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I could I could imagine like all the stuff that's up there.
1: <laughs> well, it, what's cool is being so close to like I live. Um, I'm just west of Milwaukee, so we have Lake Michigan. Basically, is you know twenty minutes down the road from where I live, and it's only a short you know day trip two three hours west, and we hit the Mississippi
2: oh so yeah, Mississippi yeah, that's right it's
1: nothing is, it's nothing but history right and the whole the whole west side of the state that runs that river it's it's small town after small town with it's a, everything is a story it's' that really is cool. So cool and cool best riding is out there.
2: Yeah, that is awesome. That is so cool. It'd be fun to follow the river down and stop in every little place and see what that, you know, every every place no matter how big or small has something, you know, something that they're famous for even if it's just the name of the place, you know. So yeah, that would be that sounds like a lot of fun actually. Yeah,
1: it really um, is.
2: And then so when you go out, when you do rides, you, do you do do you have another bike that you ride on the street when the when the weather's good?
1: Yeah, um before, I have a 2008 KTM Super Duke. Oh, yeah. And,
2: uh, and that's like, like
1: my 990. Oh,
2: okay, the 990. It, that's right. That's it, right. Okay. Yeah,
1: it's the uh, the last generation before they went to the, the Monster 1290 kick-ass does everything awesome bike.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yours is a kick-ass does uh, some things?
1: <laughs> yeah. It does everything mediocre. Yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: But, awesome. No, it, it's a it's a blast. Like all I've ever had is uh, basically drag bikes or sport bikes that uh-huh. I would race. Well, it got to be where I was doing so much riding with these bikes that are on the ragged edge that they were just physically beating me up and wearing me out, and I couldn't do more than you know a hundred miles in a day, and everything hurt just because of how they were set up. Right. So, so I started kind of like took the blinders off and started looking at all these other bikes that are out there. And, uh, I just, I fell in love with the naked bikes and then yeah. I saw the super Duke and I sat on it and I'm like, I was actually, uh, on my way home from the racetrack and I stumbled into a used bike dealership to just look around. And I saw the super Duke and I bought it like nice sightseeing. Yeah. And, uh, that's, yeah, now that's basically I retired the other bikes to, They're still street legal, but kind of, I just keep them to uh, track duty to save on parts. And now I ride the Super Duke everywhere.
2: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, it's nice to find something that kind of fills, you know, what you're saying about the sport bikes is something that a lot of people don't realize is that that aggressive position isn't good if you're going to, if you do want to do like a whole day trip, you know what I mean? Or even just go for like a weekend cruise, you're going to end up. By the end of that weekend, probably not wanting to go out again the next weekend, <laughs> you know.
1: Right. Yeah. No, that's no joke. We'd uh, we'd we'd plan out like little like day trips with the bikes, and uh, you know, a couple of us would take off, and we'd be gone for you know six hours, and then we'd cover three four hundred miles. That was a day, and we wouldn't ride for another week. Yeah. <laughs> Just because it was like I'm done. I don't even want to look at that bike for a while.
2: <laughs> you go into work Monday all hunched over, like in the same position. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's wrong, yeah, man? Yeah,
1: everybody's, everybody's got wrist braces on, and <laughs> your head's tired from holding <laughs> your helmet up. And yeah. <laughs> now, now having the like having the Super Duke, I can do 600 miles in a day comfortably, and it's opened up a whole new world of riding again.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So is that the favorite bike that you've owned uh, as far as street bike? Uh, the,
1: yeah, yeah, I'd say yes. But the next one I kind of missed that I wish I still would have had was a 1980
2: CD750. Oh, yeah. Well, if you've a, got like 12000
0: $12, bucks, you can buy one, one in California. California. That's
2: like maybe <laughs> half done. Like those things just <laughs> are yeah, – people just out here – there is like, um, I don't know. It's it's like finding a gold brick. They just really? every, yeah, it's because of the cafe eraser thing. And, and you now sure? the, the street tracker thing, everybody, the CBs were the, the hot thing because all the CBs are gone. So they're just going, you know, but, but that's the thing that you can't find one. And if you do, you'll find a shitty one for like 3,800 bucks. You know what I mean? Like people are outrageous. Wow. They think they're, they think they're sitting on, you know, like a pristine Ducati or something. <laughs> So I, I bought
1: I bought mine off of Craigslist, like mint stock with like an aftermarket adjustable backrest and the big goofy like banana bars in the front. Yeah. I paid like three hundred and seventy five bucks for it. Oh, I had, like twelve thousand miles on it.
2: What? I, wow. I owned it
1: for about six hours and I had stretched the swing arm on it already.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I couldn't leave it I alone. Call. Yeah. That's what I call a true <laughs> customizer. Yeah, you know what? I was going to people gonna ask. cringing right now. Yeah, he such a swing arm. I was going to ask. Yeah. Uh, moving on to that, what is what? I see a lot of bikes, especially Gixxers, with you know the stretch swing arm and like the portrait of like a evil clown airbrushed on it, and it's got like metallic bass boat flake over the top of it. They're mostly like in yeah. Florida. Or you know Georgia, you know down down south, and uh, uh-huh. is that is that like a thing? Because I mean the stretched swing arm, I I see out here the only thing I've seen with stretched swing arms is purpose built race bikes. I've never seen anybody cruising around on a bike, but I, ha- I have seen a lot of Honda Ruckuses, uh, oddly enough, that that are like slammed and stretched. So oh, yeah. I know it's it's good for drag, right? Because it gets your center of gravity down and extends your wheelbase, but uh, is it like is that like a a styling cue that's popular around there or is it is it yeah, something that it, you see a lot of, you know?
1: Yeah, it's it's pretty trendy for most of the sport bikes to be stretched for no other reason than a lot of people just like the look now.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Um it's it's usually such a horribly set up bike, but they like how it looks. <laughs> but it's it's definitely it's definitely gone from function to form.
2: Right, and a lot right. of them
1: aren't aren't even you no. Know, the way if you look real close, to how some of them are done. It I wouldn't write next to them.
2: Right, yeah, for fear that they like just blow apart and like make you crash.
1: Yeah, a lot of questionable methods for making. Yeah. Like, <laughs>
2: Well, and some of them I see have, like, uh, this huge Corvette tire on the back, it looks like. You know, like, they're just huge. And I, uh, you got to mm-hmm. think that it's hard to turn, you know, or, and they're definitely not made for the twisties, right? I mean, these are just, like, bikes to cruise on, kind of.
1: Yeah, like, you'll hear a lot of people argue that, like, oh, my bike is, you know, a blank wheelbase, and it handles just as fine as a stock bike, and I'll drag me, and I'll keep up with you in the corners, and it's like, well, what, you know, what, what skill level are we talking here? You know, yeah. everybody thinks, everybody thinks they're Rossi until somebody in a minivan is trying to pass them.
2: Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, I've been passed by a minivan and I, I definitely don't claim to be Rossi, but but yeah, you know, it, it, uh, it's easy to go fast in the straight line is for sure. Um, yeah. and, on those, you gotta you gotta figure if they're lowered because do they lower them too? They like slam the front, like maybe they take like a spacer, or chop the springs, or something. Um, yeah, they,
1: that's another thing too. Is they lower them everything with everything from straps in the front to just sliding the fork tubes through the trees.
2: Yeah, so you're talking they, I mean, about you're messing with like some geometry there that people probably don't think about before they actually do it. They're probably just like, I'm no. just going to do this down to where I like the way it looks. And, like, in the meantime, you've, like, kind of gone and fucked up every factory, you know, all the stuff that the developers think, yeah. went into figuring out how it's going to handle and, like, totally undone it.
1: Yeah. you. I mean, you can ride a long bike safely through, like, twisty roads, but your hands are tied on your limits. Like, you get the bike yeah. low and long. Not only does it take more radius to get a turn, but you totally decreased your lean angle because the first thing is going to hit the ground at about 20 degrees is your foot.
2: Right. Maybe that's why they're saying they can drag knee because they have to at 20 degrees just yeah. to get the bike to not tip over.
1: Well, <laughs> they, they stopped the sentence short. They dragged knee, followed by Then I dragged my arm and my head and everything yeah, else.
2: And then I went tumbling into the bushes. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. And then they dragged my bike out of the trees.
2: Right. I imagine that it's, uh, it's probably like a lowrider. Lowriders are pretty big, um, in around, you know, SoCal and have been since like the sixties, but I, I I don't like the style, but if you're in that thing, they look bitching to you. So, I mean, that's why they do it. And they don't really care how it drives. I guess it's kind of the same thing, you know, I can, uh,
1: yeah.
2: Add like a foot to my wheelbase, you know? Yeah. There's, well, you can tell like you, like I've been around
1: like stretch bikes and drag bikes almost since the beginning of me getting into motorcycles, uh-huh. you, know, you know, take the dirt bikes and stuff out of the equation. The street bikes have all been, you know, slammed and stretched bikes, but you can look at one that's done and you know, like, okay, this guy's got his stuff together. This, this bike's been to the track and it's these little, little cues you can pick up on that or like, this is this is made to work. This has a purpose. Yeah. And then you can look at some, like you said, that have the big, you know, 300 tire kit in the back. Everything's chrome. The geometry's all screwed up. Nothing's made to really work together. That guy's going to bike nights, and I wouldn't want to be riding too close to him in any kind of a curve.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, he's going to become a speed bump here for me, you know, if uh, things go mm-hmm. wrong. Right, right. Yeah.
0: Hey, guys, we're going to take a quick break with Chris. We're going to get back to talk to him some more about racing. Right now, we're going to do the news with Honey Buns.
3: Hello, and welcome to Episode 11 News. In OEM news, a couple of episodes ago, we mentioned that Eric Buell Racing was bought by Liquid Asset Partners with the intention of rekindling the fires. Well, according to online news sources, LAP is planning on putting the RX and the SX in dealer showrooms by mid-March. March! March. They also stated that they are going to start the production of much-needed spares for 2012-15 EBR bikes that are currently on the public roads. They certainly have the means since having purchased everything from the patents and operating licenses to the equipment and existing part inventory. Although Buell is not the only American sport bike company, it is the only one to be mass-produced and holds a storied history thanks to its association with America's most well-known motorcycle company. Also. Motorcycle.com published a list of the most affordable bikes for 2016. In a time when economies are still struggling to stabilize, and with the constant threat of a global debt crisis looming in every asset manager's mind, it's nice to see that Motorcycle.com is looking out for our wallets. I won't bore you with the full list, but you can check it out on their site, aptly named Motorcycle.com. Topping the list as the most expensive sits the Moto Guzzi, Guzzi V7 Two Stone at $8,990. The cheapest ride in their line is the CSC TT250, ringing up at $1,895. What? Yes, you heard me right. $1,895. This is a bit of a shock, even coming from CSC, which could stand for Cheap Shoddy Components. Their bikes don't have a bad reputation, but they don't have a great one either. Ever hear of Johnny Pag? Johnny Peg? Anything? At any rate, a cool-looking 250 for under $2,000 is not too shabby by any means. And on to Racing. We are continually pushing the at gat theme here at Creative Writing, and this incident shows why. Loris Baz had a 180-mile-per-hour get-off during the second day of testing at Sepang on Saturday, when the Michelin on his rear wheel disintegrated. He was traveling down the front straight when the soft compound tire let go, sending him and his bike down the tarmac. Although badly damaged, the mechanics were able to piece it back together and he finished the last two hours of testing. Did you hear that? He was flung off at 180 miles per hour, 290 kilometers per hour, and was able to hop back on for the last two hours. He did say that he was tired and his body felt like he had just worked out for 20 hours, but he did it nonetheless. At Gap Baby! Palm Springs, California, is known for its quiet nightlife and is a popular getaway for those in the constant glitz and glamour of Los Angeles. Just outside of Palm Springs sit hipster havens like Joshua Tree, Pappy and Harriet's, or Salvation Mountain near the Salton Sea. What else lies out there? Walla Valley Raceway, where Shoei and a few of its sponsored Moto America riders tested the new X-14 helmet. Jake Lewis, Garrett Gerloff, Bobby Fong, and Michael Gilbert weighed in on the design and the feel of the new Brain Bucket. You can see their opinions and comments over at psychoworld.com. And for gear, hey fellas, Valentine's Day is right around the corner. Why not treat your lady right and pick up something from Hot Leathers? They have a large assortment of ladies' shirts, boy shorts, and even pajamas. And of course, they always stock hot leather vests chaps, and other writing apparel for women too. They aren't a sponsor of the show, but doesn't hot leathers sound way better coming off the tongue than Pajamagram? Give them a look-see. Free shipping on orders over $100. And in miscellaneous, I'm sure you've all seen it by now, but there's a video circulating on the YouTubes about a gun-toting nut job. It all started when moto vlogger Subliminal Moto was out for a ride with his friends when they apparently upset a guy in a truck. The article on Lane Splitter stated that the truck had been taking pictures of the bikers' license plates. The group was pretty good in size, and in one of the other writers' video, you can see the truck pull up next to them at a stoplight and yell expletives at them. The group, unaware that Subliminal Moto had pulled along the passenger's side, quickly realized that the driver had brandished a weapon and was pointing it at their friend. The Moto vlogger sure-minded his P's and Q's after having a sidearm leveled at him, and so far, nothing has come of the incident. Stay tuned to the interwebs as this story develops. Thanks for listening for the news. Thanks <laughs> thanks for listening to the news.
0: <laughs> Thank you, honey. Tonight's news brought to you, of course, from in front of a live studio audience. And now back to our interview with Mr. Chris Singh Saim. When we last left off, Chris and I were just talking about racing and the significance of a lengthened swing arm.
2: So when you're racing, um, the extended swing arm basically just helps. I mean, it's basically the same. There, you know, drag cars for a long time scooted the rear Axle forward, you know, if you could, you could kind of scoot the body back on the frame. When back in the days when they were not unibodies, but I mean, there's lots of stuff Mm -hmm. you do to play with the geometry and how the car is going to react. Is that in drag racing? That's like the the sport I basically know the least about. And I'm assuming that you get the wheel further back so that all the weight gets transferred onto it, and then you get a launch, right? I mean, is that basically why you extend the swing arm on a drag bike? Because you pop a wheelie otherwise, right?
1: Yeah, that's that's the. The, the basic theory is the you know the longer you go the harder it is to get you know for the front end to come up on you and when it does it's usually such a slow controlled action because of the extra wheelbase that you can respond faster than if the bike's real short when it comes up it comes up fast and violent
2: yeah by the time your brain's processing so, it you're looping over or something
1: yeah so with the the longer bike not only can you Leave at a higher RPM. You can leave more violent. You can leave quicker. It actually slows down anything that would possibly be going wrong.
2: Right, and right. You,
1: you have you have a little bit of a chance to react to it.
2: That's at least got to slow things down. Even if it's uh, you know half a second, that's still uh, quite a bit of time to react and and get yourself back in control and back in shape.
1: Yeah, it gives you a chance to feather it and not just, like, chop the throttle and slam the front end down.
2: <laughs> right, right. Have you ever had anything go crazy on on track? Uh, had it to change your, your leathers <laughs> afterwards? I've,
1: I've had a few incidents. I've never wrecked at the track, but I had one time I, I misjudged a nitrous setup. And it basically came on 100% at the top of first gear. Oh, shit. So, yeah, so right as the bike's making, like, its max power on motor, another 80 horse nitrous came on, and it stood the bike straight up like Jesus came down and yanked me by my collar. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, that, that one I chopped the throttle and came down pretty hard. Kind of got a bell ringing out of that one.
2: I mean, are you set up with the like in kind of a lay down position, like with the um, the rear sets kind of further back or anything like that?
1: My bike's not real radical in that sense. My rear sets are down an inch and back an inch from stock. When I when I launch the bike, I kind of have my feet—they're not hanging way back, but I kind of got them out to the side, kind of like stabilizers, because. If the front end is kind of loose or just kind of up in the air dancing around, I actually have to kind of steer the bike with my feet.
2: Oh, yeah, right. Okay. You
1: put, pressure, you put pressure on the track to kind of steer it. But uh, I'm, I'm as far forward as I can get and as far, you know, as low as I can get behind the windscreen. And then by about third gear, I'll actually pick my feet up to the pegs and get like a full tuck. Some guys have, some guys will have, they got pegs on the swing arms, like, way to the back, so they literally are, like, almost laying in, like, a Superman position on the bike.
2: Right, yeah. But
1: that puts their legs and their feet kind of out like big canards on an airplane. They're almost like air brakes hanging out in the wind. So
2: yeah, you can, like,
1: you can get up to, like, a, like a road race, tuck. it's the most aerodynamic place to be, so that's Kind of how my bike is set up is to get into, like, yeah. full whole, like, road race talk.
2: Plus, I figure if your legs are kind of back Superman style, you don't really you – know, you don't have, like, your quad muscle to, like, muscle it around as much because, I mean, then you're just, like, relying on your hip. I mean, your hip muscles are the only thing – your feet are basically along for the ride, right, I guess, is what I'm saying, it seems like, in that position, sure. you know? Yeah. Yeah, the
1: bikes, they, uh, they move around quite a bit at that speed and – just by having my feet on the pegs, like I'll be up on the balls of my feet, I can push mm, right. peg to peg to get the bike straight, or if it's wandering out of the groove, instead of yanking on the handlebars, I can just put pressure on the peg and bring it back into the groove and keep it going yeah. straight before it gets out of hand.
2: You sound like a fighter pilot. I mean, because a lot of people don't realize that, especially helicopters, Use you know, people will see like the video games or whatever with just the stick, but I mean, it's like foot control. There's like a lot of different yaw and you know, rotational mm-hmm. m- movement that happens. It's not just a, it, on the one axis, you know? <laughs> so, yeah, you've no, like you got a lot of things I've, going on at once.
1: Uh, well, you figure at uh, 170 miles an hour, if I stick my knee out in the wind, it's going to pull the bike one way or the other. If I'm on a pass and the bike gets out of the groove, it'll spin the tire a little and it'll try to steer the bike. And, you know, if it's uh an elimination round or something you got to make a correction and then lifting throttles. throttle is about the last thing you want to do so you kind of you dance a knee out in the breeze a little bit and the bike will come right back where you want it crazy
2: so how long did it well okay there's a couple things because you've mentioned a few things here that i'm just like okay yeah this is like the meat and potatoes of this i guess the first thing i'll ask is how long did it take you to figure all that stuff out did it take you a whole year to figure out where this stuff is going, or was it as your speed progressed higher and higher, you had to figure out different tactics?
1: It's a it's a total progression. You, you start out, you know, I started out riding bikes where you know if they were going 1150s in the quarter, that was pretty fast, but realistically, it was nothing. Yeah. But you, you're kind of in the scene, so now you're you're talking to people that are faster. And you pick up on little things that they talk about. It's like a lot of knowledge is like, not necessarily like secrets, but a lot of just general knowledge is kind of just keeps getting handed down, handed down, handed down. So by the time I progressed up to where I'm going, like the speeds and the times I'm going now, I'm kind of reflecting back to things. I already used to hear the fast guys saying back in the day. So you almost you ha- I have I had a warning basically of what was coming as I got faster. And then once you start to experience it, like, whoa, well, that's what you know, this guy was talking about. It happened. I actually got to see what that felt like. And then you just will you kind of refine it and work on that and it then becomes second nature.
2: I imagine that if you change bikes, that's gonna change. So so it's not just like a static thing, but like you're saying, you know, you learn a skill, and if you were to change bikes or change classes or anything like that, you could just you could apply that, and then maybe you'd have to learn some new technique too, and kind of apply that. So it's like a constant learning curve. Yeah,
1: totally. Every every bike's got its own characteristics, whether it be uh, how you gotta launch it or just how it handles down track. But it all comes back to like uh, like we were talking about the. Like the welding and the art projects and just learning skills, it, it it's all stuff you can kind of reference. to when you get into this situa- situation, you remember back to something you did on a project prior. Well, it's the same thing with the bikes. You, you know, you're riding someone else's bike for a race, and you get into a situation or you feel something, you can go ah, the light bulb goes off, and then
2: yeah, I, I yep.
1: experienced it before on this bike was saying about like having to steer with like my knees or something yeah yeah like you you get on somebody else's bike and all of a sudden the thing is like it takes a crazy right hand turn (laughs) half track and you know my my instant reaction is something that i've already been doing on my bikes right so it's like all the all the little things that you learn along the way you just got to keep kind of reflecting back to different bikes same principles
2: yeah, that's awesome. So, the second thing, uh these kind of go hand in hand, but um you mentioned nitrous and that's a super exciting to me because
3: <laughs> anything that makes like
2: more flame and smoke is is always good. So, what so you're running nitrous on your on your bikes right now? Yeah. And did you say you have like a 80 shot on there or something?
1: Yeah, the way um the way I have the the kit set up on the bike that I run now is there's two stages.
2: Uh-huh.
1: And uh the the first stage basically comes on with a full throttle switch. And okay. roughly roughly about twenty horsepower. It's just a real small shot.
2: Wow. And that's
1: basically because that's easier than going on a diet. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
2: that's that's
1: the that's the I need to get the bike moving a little bit quicker out of the hole switch. And then when I shift and I, into and I second year,
2: pizza, right? I, the, I still want to eat yeah, my exactly. pizza, right? I still want to eat my I need to get <laughs> right
1: Yeah. For Friday night pizza session, the first thing I'm thinking of is I can just put a bigger
2: jet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and give a, me another piece. Yeah, give me another piece. I can just uh, up it. You know, I just turned it up a little bit. <laughs> yep. so, and then the second stage is, uh, how does that work?
1: The second stage I have, it's on... Uh, a manual button, and I don't know if you've, like, seen some of the the newer sport bikes. They have the pass button to flash, like, the high beam.
2: Yeah, right, right.
1: That's that's actually what activates my second stage. So when I, I hit that button, it's another 80 horse, and then the bike will actually flip maps, and the injectors will add extra fuel. So that's... Actually, what makes the power is the extra fuel.
2: So, did you, that's pretty awesome. And then what's your top
1: speed? Uh, my, my bike that I race now, like my, like legit, like the race bike I run, uh-huh. it's still, it's still street legal. So when I, when I say like drag bikes, everybody thinks it's got, you know, it's got wheelie bars and no headlight, no tail, right, and no light right. Fire. Like everything I run is, it's all street legal stuff. All the classes I raise, all the events, it's all street legal bikes.
2: Is it, no pro, is it a pro street class? Is that what it's called? Uh, but,
1: uh, oddly enough, there is a class called pro street, but that's like, that's the not... next level from what I okay. do.
2: Uh, ironically, uh, it's not street legal, right? <laughs>
1: but... it, it, yeah, they, they're really dancing the edge of what the word street means.
2: Right. But they're
1: but they're serious, they're they're engineering marvels, but it's they're they're five hundred plus horsepower bikes running oh two hundred miles yeah. an hour at six seconds, you know. Yeah. But the the actual like you know quote street bike stuff that I run is, you know, headlights, taillights, street tires, no wheelie bars, um factory style clutch, no fancy clutches, my bike is my personal bike has gone, uh, 843 at 172.
2: That's pretty damn quick. Yeah. So uh, before we, uh, before you go on, I have to laugh because when, when I, you know, back when Fast and Furious came out and I was still like in the cars, my, my friends and I rolled our eyes and the guys like, I live my life, you know, a quarter mile, 10 se- for those 10 seconds, you know, and we're going, dude, 10 seconds, come on, like that's, pretty quick you know what i mean like there's, uh, <laughs> there's not, not a lot of like street cars that you know will do like a 10 right. you know what i mean that's pretty i've seen cars sure. were like street i'm gonna do the air quote like you said like the pro street guys like street cars that did you know you know eight or seven but those like you said they're pushing the boundary of what street is so realistically i think. uh that that always cracked me up. And then so to hear you say that, you know, 172 sounds a lot like less Hollywood. You know what I mean? They'd be like, oh, yeah, 200 miles an hour, like, t- down the freeway. Yeah, but,
1: yeah, if yeah. yeah, you watch you watch the movies or read the magazines, everybody goes 200 miles an hour. Exactly. <laughs> and
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: you go to the track and you find out not everybody goes 200 miles an hour.
2: Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, 172 is still, I mean, that would uh, blow my hair back just just fine. I think my, uh, I would be a little shaky after (laughs) hitting that speed.
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, like I know a lot of people that don't follow drag racing. It's like they see that, that big mile per hour number and it's, it's an impressive number and we're hauling ass, but to kind of, to put it in perspective. So a quarter mile is 1,320 feet, right? Yeah. So we have at the track there's timers at the 1000 foot mark
2: uh-huh
1: and then there's timer at the finish line so that last 320 feet is it's 20 feet longer than a football field right
2: right right
1: in in that i cover that distance in in top gear in just about 1.3 seconds
2: yeah i mean that's pretty incredible um so, needless yeah, to say if you were than... like uh running back and you could just hand the football off to some dude flying by on his motorcycle, that'd be a pretty fast <laughs> touchdown. But man, a yeah, whole second absolutely. a second to cover a football field, that's that's pretty incredible. And at yeah. that speed, what are you seeing? I mean, is it is it is it tunnel vision? Is it just a blur, you know? Uh I gotta imagine that things it, you don't focus it... on a whole lot of stuff, You're, you know.
1: Your soul it's, it's, it's eerily smooth. Mm-hmm. Like there's, it's almost calming, but time, like most of the action for like the type of racing I do, all the action is from first to third gear. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the launch, it's the getting everything under control. It's banging the first two gears. After that, it's, you know, throttles locked the knife is yeah. on and you're, you're banging gears, but if you, if the you track.
2: Yeah. If you made it that far, you're just kind of just need to hit the last few gears. Um, yeah. You're
1: just, you're waiting for the bike to wiggle and you want to just keep it straight. And last thing you want to do is look at the guy next to you or.
2: or yeah, of course.
1: You're watching, watching the tack and looking straight ahead and making up. Yeah. That.
2: Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm imagining that if you were to look sideways, anything you do, if you, if you can steer the bike with your knee, that any getting out of shape in any way is going to like alter suddenly what you're doing. And it could be like putting the brakes, you know, it could be like air brakes. If the wind starts to hit your head <laughs> yeah. wrong or it, push on you, just like get you way out of shape. And that's not what you want to do in top gear for sure. <laughs> um, yeah. It's
1: it's hard to express how hard it is to pick up just like just thousands of a seconds improvement. Right. And the littlest thing you do on the bike can slow you down.
2: Yeah. I mean, is it like something as small as like all the bearing grease or anything? I mean, you know, anything that's like going to cause any drag anywhere?
1: Yeah, that's that's probably one of the most overlooked things in the sport is just getting the bikes to roll.
2: So when you're, and you're on street tires, uh, are they like street legal? Are they dot licks or something? I mean, how, how do you find something that's going to get you haul an ass down the track at that speed and keep the control, but still stay, you know, legal for that class and street legal.
1: There's a, uh, well, have you, have you heard of uh well, Mickey Thompson makes a tire, uh, Michelin makes yeah. a Michelin tire, but uh, the most popular tire is uh the Shinko, It's called a hookup. Uh-huh. And it's, it's a, it's a drag specific DOT approved radial tire.
2: That's cool.
1: It's got a very flat profile to it, so it doesn't have like a big crown, like a like a road race tire would.
2: Right, right.
1: But it it's got a relatively soft sidewall, a real sticky compound, and it lays out a pretty good footprint, so we can put a ton of power down, and it'll leave you know four five inch wide patch of where <laughs> it's making contact.
2: Right. Yeah. Do, do you uh, do you air down at all um, just to get like a little bit you know less because i mean you know obviously the more air the harder it's going to be so just like just to get the a little bit more tack and stuff in it
1: yeah it's the air pressures even it's a little bit of a, a a tuning tool as well like um some guys will run as low as you know six seven eight pounds whoa but at the same time that That'll work with traction, but the low pressure causes more drag. So they right. might see a drop in mile per hour at the end of the track. On, on my bike, it seems to work awesome right around like 16 PSI.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm, I'm not making a whole boatload of horsepower, but that works as far as getting the traction and still being up there high enough in pressure that I don't lose a ton of mile per hour at the end of the track.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do. When you do have a bigger footprint, of course you're going to have more grab, but then you're also going to have more mass touching against the pavement. And at, yep. like you said, at some point it, it is going to start working against it. <laughs> so yeah, that, yep. it, that's pretty incredible to think of how just the littlest thing like that can make, like you said, a thousand. I mean, you know, that's pretty insane. Um, and then yeah. so where where do you race like where have you raced? Have you traveled or is it is there like a few local places that you hit up
1: well we're uh, where I live, I'm lucky enough I only live forty five minutes from our local drag strip, and they're open six nights a week.
2: oh my god,
1: <laughs> so yeah, I go two three times a week sometimes to just go racing, go testing, do uh little trophy programs, but whatever. And then yeah. uh, other than that, there's about four other tracks within a reasonable driving distance where you could wake up on a Saturday morning and be like, uh, I'm going to go hit this track or that track.
2: Yeah. So are are we talking like there's... two hours, two or, two or three hours?
1: Yeah. A, a long drive for me to get to another track would be uh, three hours. Yeah, Like there's, there's, there's two tracks north of me. There's a couple just south of the border in Illinois. Then, uh, after that, you kind of got to skirt around over in Indiana or yeah. over to Iowa. Yeah. So we kind of got, you know, prime picking for drag strips.
2: Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, you know, I, forget how cool, you know, that area is geographically close to, you know, a lot of different, different states right there. Um, and when you when you uh, when you're traveling around, because I know a lot of I've heard a lot of people say, oh yeah, we, you know we had to go, you know five hours, you know because there's a lot of rural places in in the states, and and out here, we're, uh, you know I could go probably forty minutes in a few different directions and hit one, but that's you know you get into the central or, or north and it's a little bit different, and then you're talking like. There's nothing in the in the you know west of, or you know west there is east of like the Rockies and stuff yeah you'd be hard pressed to find stuff unless you go to a motorsports park, you know what I mean but um so yeah. that's cool that you got stuff i mean two hours isn't too bad i mean that that to some people is like a short ride, but to me that's like <laughs> long you know, but that's cool so <laughs> so have you traveled like on any um I mean, is there like a series or anything up there that you participate in, or is, is it pretty much you can just like hit each one individually on an individual basis and, and, uh, go race? Yes.
1: Yes. Yes. To both of those questions.
2: <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's,
1: there's a, there's a couple different local series that run that all have classes that are really similar to each other. So they kind of overlap. So, you're not you're not pigeonholed into well. I built my bike to run this class at this track, and now it doesn't fit into this class for this series at this track. They they all kind of talk a little bit so that if you wanted to race this one series at this track and run this class, the following weekend the, another track will have the same class with the same yeah, rules, just cool. a, just a different organization.
2: So you don't have to take two so bikes out with you and worry about two sets of parts and whatnot.
1: Nope. They yeah. they make it real easy around here locally for you that, that if you want to run this class, it it that that setup will transfer into the three different organizations real easily.
2: That is awesome. That's cool. Okay, so if anybody wants to get in touch with you, where can they find you? Uh it, just look me up by name on Facebook. It's just all right. at Chris SingTime. Alrighty, and I'll put your name uh, in the show notes so people know.
0: Well, what can I say? A great interview with a great individual. Chris had so much stuff to say that I'm sure I'll be bringing you some more next episode. Don't worry about that. We talked for two hours about everything and anything, and you know what? I love to talk, and I love to hear myself talk, apparently, since I have this stupid podcast, but I just loved... uh, chris's character and the fact that this guy just does a little bit of everything i mean i just i see myself reflected in other people and that's that's kind of why i I like to make these connections uh and and the whole reason for starting uh, a podcast called creative writing is because no matter who you are and what you do there's there's always always this other side of you that's, uh, always doing something that's, that's creative or, you know, he's a history buff. I'm a history buff. It's, it's just, it's really cool. We both like just driving for no reason just other than just to see what's out there and see what was out there and maybe think about what will be out there. So we talked about all that. And if you didn't hear it in this episode, uh, stick around for next episode, I'm going to definitely be, uh, bringing you part two of, of our conversation that we had. And Chris guaranteed me that he did that whole interview with his pants off. <laughs> and I think he had a food and beverage there. He was, he was really comfortable because it was really cold in Wisconsin. And I have to say, I've been sweating here in SoCal. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, if you can, man, send me some of that weather this away because it's supposed to be wintertime out here. But anyway, I can't say enough good stuff about Chris, and I'm sure that if you're his friend and you're listening to this, that uh, you know what I'm talking about. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to next show. And speaking of Chris's, another Chris, the Chris from uh, Australia that we're going to call Aussie Chris, he also uh, sent me some really cool info on our Facebook page, and uh, I cut our movie review down based on some information an opinion that he gave me and I think it's the right move. So stick around and, and see what changes I made to our movie review this week. And uh to address something that he had asked me, uh model codes and VIN numbers, which is actually something I pardon me, is actually something I, I know a lot about. It's something I deal with at work every day. And so let's talk about let's talk about that as I have the hiccups now. This is awesome. Okay, while I don't claim to know every single thing about every single manufacturer's model number, there are a few that I do know about, uh, just from having to sort through these codes for my uh, my daily nine to five, baby. And I can I can say with some confidence that I'm not even sure that the people at the factory 100 percent of the time, especially the dealership level. The further down you go to the customer facing, uh, you know designation, the, the less these guys are going to know. Because sometimes at the factory they just tack on some of these numbers as like uh, a package. And the, the longer and longer a bike is in manufacture, that generation is you know, it, it, the longer, more generations it has, the more trim or more features are going to come on board. The more letters they're going to have to start using in the VINs or the model numbers. It's just how it works. So, I thought we were talking about a, a DRZ, and um, and he, I, I know that he has a, a G uh, six hundred and fifty Dakar, and I don't think it's a G six hundred and fifty. I think they called that Dakar the F s The F. So. Uh, what I was telling him about was the, uh, you know, I know a lot about the BMW models and for instance, let's start off with the prefixes. The R is their boxer and apparently there's some I've read somewhere that the R is the German word for string, which means straight line, which, you know, the boxers obviously are in a straight line along the bottom. You know, the cylinders are, uh, opposing cylinders. So, uh, be that as it may, it doesn't matter The R is, is a boxer series engine So let's talk about Like the R1200GS Well 1200 is the engine size And GS On all of the BMW bikes Stands for, I hope I'm pronouncing this right Is Gelanderstras Which means like terrain Is Gelanda or land or dirt And Strass is street So it means it's like an enduro It's a, It's a dirt slash street bike And Chris Dewhurst is from um, New South Wales, Australia, by the way. And uh, yeah, he's got a really beautiful uh, 650 Dakar. And I believe that was an F and the F650s. And those were thumpers. Although nowadays, BMW doesn't call their Fs thumpers. They call... um, Anything with an F is a parallel twin. So you got the you know the F eight hundred, the F seven hundred, all of that stuff is is a parallel twin. And the thumpers now have a G. So in the beginning, the very first model number on, on the beamers. Let's let's just go through these one at a time before I start getting all over and going crazy. I knew this would happen. So in BMW specifically, uh R stands for boxers. K stands for an inline, and it doesn't necessarily mean a four because they have the k 1600, which are inline sixes. The S's are inline, but they're the chain drive. And uh, what other motors do they have? The F. The F is the parallel twin, the G is the thumper. So you take that, you usually put a number in between, which is roughly, you know, always usually the engine size. And then the suffix is where you get your body package. So GS, like I said, Galandestrasse is, you know, land and street or dirt and street. So those are the the Enduros. And you have F800GS and R1200GS and and, and G650GS. So you've got a boxer, a parallel twin, and a thumper all fitting into the GS family, but all with different uh, motors. So then you might have an S, which is sport, and you have like the K1300S, you know, the R1200S, the, um, you know, they've got, they had quite a few cool, uh, boxer, boxer replicas back in the day. And, you know, I haven't seen those in a long time. I forget what the model numbers were, but they might've had an S at the end. So S at the end usually means sport S T is sport touring. They used to have a F800 ST, I believe, and um, an R1200 ST, I, I think, or an R1100 ST. Anyway, these were these were like sport tours and they looked they you know, they really did look uh, like they were pretty fast and they came with panniers on them and stuff. So that was they were really nice bikes. Now, if there's just an R on the end, that's roadster. and Right now they ha- currently have an S1000R and an R1200R. And those are their Roadster models. You know, I believe the S is a chain drive derivative of the S1000RR. And uh, it's a little bit naked. So, yeah, that's just their S1000 Roadster instead of their, you know, Super Sport. You know, segueing into that, the RR stands for Road Racing. So the S1000RR is really the only RR they have right now. So, you know, the S is the inline chain drive, RR, Road Racing. You get the gist. If, it's, if your bike has RT at the end of it, that's Riese Touring or Riese Touring? Risa Touring. I wish Krampus was here. He, he speaks German. He could tell me. Anyway, that means... Risa means travel. So RT is basically like a travel touring bike. And if you think about the R1200 RT, you know, that's a perfect example of something that's kind of in between, um, you know, a full-on luxury tour like the K1600. And a sport tour like the uh, R1200ST, I think they used to have, or r hundred ST, the f hundred ST. So they also have a GT, which is Grand Touring. And, you know, most, most cars and bikes that have a GT, that comes from uh, the Grand Touring. And that has been a term that's been around, you know, since time in memoriam, basically in the, in the automotive, anything motorized world. Uh, Harley is another one that's pretty simple. And, for instance, the Harleys have, uh, f- for a long time, have been F. and F is their uh, big V-twin. And an X, mm, well, XR, or XL, rather, is the uh, unit. So the, the F motors are just literally that. They're a motor, and there's a separate tranny that bolts up to them. Uh, the F was the V, you know, the big V motor. The L, I believe, had to do with the the frame and and steering package, and the H, from what I read a long time ago in the Harley documentation, it's been a long time since I read it, but H was like highway or touring, because then you move into the FX, which is uh, the Dyna. So FXD is a V, you know, the F is the V-twin. The X is, I believe the most of the Xs have like a 19-inch front wheel, although they're playing around with that stuff nowadays uh, a little bit. But I, I believe the the X had like a, a bigger wheel and a skinnier front end. It didn't have the big touring front end on it. The FXDF is the Fat Bob, um, and they'll reuse those. Uh, the FLSTN, which was the uh, Night Train, which FLST is the F motor, the L, which is the big Fernand, and the ST was Softtail. So the FLSTN was what they call the Night Train. And now the FLSTN, I believe, is the uh, Deluxe. So they're pretty simple too. Once you kind of figure out what the Harley naming convention is, and the, uh, the V Rods have their own thing, VR SCD, and some numbers after them. Uh, and they are water cooled, so they don't have, you know, the fancy F in front of them, even though they are a V twin. And then the X motors are means unit construction, so they don't have a separate tranny that bolts up to them. So the X all the sportsters are XL, which is like the unit construction, and then they're they're pretty easy. They they're just XL and then the number, and then like the XL eight eighty three H was the sportster hugger that they had a few years ago and you know they are pretty easy to figure out as far as that now to move away from harley and all their fancy uh numbers and letters and everything um a lot of people suzuki like the jixes well uh the japanese when you're dealing with like translations like BMW is a little easier because they're a little more straightforward but when you're dealing with translations like from Japanese to English I've seen some pretty funky stuff in some service manuals before as far as uh, things getting literally lost in translation and so when you're talking about model numbers it's even a little bit more confusing because obviously they don't write their letters like we write them here and being a I think kanji is like a symbol based language and so you're think you're you're taking like a visual representation of a word and turning it into like translating it into an English letter. I don't it might they just might mean nothing, you know what I mean? They they might be different sounds in, in Japanese as they are in English, who knows? But from what I've heard, from what I've gleaned over the years is on Suzuki's, a lot of times the VIN is more telling than the model number, but let's go over the model numbers first. Uh, for instance, let's do the GSXR. Uh, apparently, all the GS bikes, G stands for Grand Sport, and like I said, a lot of manufacturers, GT is Grand Touring, GS is Grand Sport. Um, the X, I've read in some places that the X was f- meant... For the X in the word experimental and R stood for racing, so GSXR is Grand Sport Experimental Racing. A lot of times, though, if it's got an X or a Z in it, it's kind of just to be showy because those letters aren't used a lot, and a lot of manufacturers will throw an X or a Z in there as uh, an exotic. Uh, letter because this bike is somewhat exotic and you if you notice you won't see it on a lot of bikes you know uh manufacturers don't usually put it on their cruisers they put it on their sport bikes and they put it on not all of their sport bikes they might only put it on their super sport bikes you know what i mean so take take that experimental racing thing with the grain of salt if you will but i do know uh a lot of manufacturers as a suffix use f for fared um, or N for naked, and I, Honda does it. Um, Suzuki or Kawasaki did it with the ER6N and the ER6F. You know the F was fair, the N was naked. Um, if you've been looking at the new Kawasa- uh, Suzuki's lately, the new Suzuki um, GSX S1000 and the S1000F. You know the F has the fairing. Uh, a lot of the manufacturers nowadays too are adding an A at the end. Um, you'll see it on like all the V stroms. Uh, let's just say Suzuki in general puts a, at the end of their, uh, model designations that have ABS. Um, Honda doesn't usually do that. BMW, all of their bikes have ABS and Harley definitely doesn't do that. So a lot of people don't put that option down, but Suzuki definitely denotes it in their model numbers. Nowadays, if it's got an A at the end, you know, it's got ABS and, uh, to get back to Chris, um, Dewar's question about the DRZ that he asked me, Um, the DR, as far as I know, is similar to the GS, Gallandestrasse. It's DR stands for uh, dirt and road. So not a dirt road, but dirt slash road, such as it can go on the dirt and it can go on the road. So um, the DRZ, like I said, the Z is sometimes just a fancy designation. So it's like an Enduro sport model or something, as opposed to like... Uh, a motocross model or a trail bike you know what I mean so take take that with a grain of salt but uh, the Vstrom for instance uh, the, is a, the DL 1000 and from what I've heard from that the D stands for dirt and the L apparently comes from the motor being derived from the old TL series and I didn't even bother to look up what the TL stood for but you, you just kind of get a feeling for how people use this and Honda uses L specifically uh, for their uh, bikes that it means street legal. Uh, Usually they only put it on their dirt bikes. So for example, you might have like a CRF 250 and then you'll have a 250L. The 250L is going to be street legal. Whereas if it's a 250X or a 450X, those have headlights and taillights, but they're not street legal because they don't have mirrors and they don't have um turn signals. So, let's get into Honda. <clears throat> you know, starting with dirt bikes, you got CR versus XR. Somebody at Honda said that CR uh, stood for close ratio and XR stood for extended ratio, which is why almost all of the um motocross bikes have CR. Uh they're they're all close ratio race bikes. All of the bikes that end in R for racing, like the uh, CRF 450R but the XR650L, that's the extended ratio. You would want that because that's an enduro bike. That's a basically like a Honda. Besides the Africa Twin, that's their 650cc, I guess you could call it like an adventure bike to kind of go against the KLR650. So XR is extended ratio, 650 being the size, and L means it's street legal. So... And a lot of a lot of times on Hondas you'll see CRF, and the F stands for four stroke because a lot of t- a lot of bikes uh, up until 2006 I believe is when they put the Kibosh on two strokes. Uh, two strokes making a comeback, but uh, they put them out of production. Uh, the EPA did in-, in 2006 for sure. So before then you would have seen some two strokes here and there. So CRF, lets you know it's the uh, close ratio four stroke. You know people well wonder like the street bikes of honda well the cb the st the ct the gl um from what i know the cb like the cb 750s and the cb 400s and all that the cb i've i read on a honda publication from a long time ago that it meant cross beam because they used to have like a a featherbed frame and it had like a you know the motor sat across both uh the beam basically across both, uh, frame rails nowadays where everything, the motor basically is like a stressed member of the chassis. I'm not sure uh, they just, they've kept the designation for so long or they've associated it. That's why I'm saying like a lot of times some of this stuff might not matter anymore. And you might see a number tacked on because they've run out of stuff. They've added something, you know, when, when when every bike gets ABS or cruise control in the future, it's going to, had to be tacked on somewhere so they might you know sometimes these things i think just get added um not arbitrarily but you know out of necessity to signify uh, a, a later time after you've got this history like the cbs have been around forever they're never going to go away because people identify with them so even though the motor might not run through uh across a frame anymore they still call them the cbs for cross beam and of course our cross beam racing um the st uh the sport touring of course and you know they've got these new ctx and i don't know if ct stands for city touring or not or comfort touring or something like that because um if you look at the promos on honda they only show the ctx uh they only show them in the videos, riding through the city. They don't show them ever on the highway. They've got a really low uh, windscreen in the front that doesn't really, wouldn't do anything for you on the freeway. So I don't know if CT is like their designation for like round town touring, city touring. And of course the gold wings being the GLs, um, even the F6B, the model number is still GL. So those are uh, the grand luxury, like, you know, the big grand tours. And a lot of times, uh, Honda will use that, uh, F and N designation too for naked and faired. Uh, if you see the CTX 700, it's got a fairing on it and the CTX 700 N is just has like a little, uh, half fairing over it. So now I don't have a bunch of VIN numbers in front of me, but I do have a, a Suzuki VIN sheet and getting away from the model numbers we're gonna uh look at the vins here because they will tell you a lot more than a model number will suzuki the vins are let's see let's take a vin from a recent bike so the the one i was just talking about the gxs s1000 fa which is the fared with the abs so anything made in japan will have a j anything made in us will have a one i believe canada's two, and Mexico is four, or something like that. For the, the all the GSX bikes, whether it's the GSXR or the GXS-S, they all have the model code of GT7, and then uh, a couple letters. And if you're looking at the Suzuki uh, the VIN sheets, you'll see that they have, starting out with the vehicle category, they have uh, CBNGF S, V, and H, okay? So a C is a scooter, a B is a business model or a commuter, an N is a single cylinder sport street bike, a G is a multi-cylinder sport street, F is family, S is off-road, a V is a V-type engine, whether it's a V-twin or V-4, and an H is a square fork. So when we're looking at the GSX-S1000FA, the g is the first letter in the model code so g is you look down their little sheet it's multi cylinder sport street okay you look at the t you go down the next column their piston displacement well t is from 850 to 999 so we know it's not exactly 1000 they usually run a little bit lower so there you go gt is a is a multi cylinder sport street bike um with uh, engine that's somewhere between 850 and 900 cc's and then the seven looking in the uh, engine type seven is a four-stroke four-cylinder so uh, a one is a two-stroke single a two is a two-stroke twin three is a two-stroke triple or four a four is like a four-stroke single for a, a thumper a five is a four-stroke twin. Six, they don't have an engine type, and seven is a four-stroke four. So the GT seven is uh, tells you that your GSXR basically is a uh, sport street model that's got sub one thousand cc four-stroke inline four-stroke. Um, I think we should get off VINs because VIN numbers and VIN information isn't the most exciting thing to talk about. And this was all kind of sparked from the question of model numbers anyway. And sometimes they won't even have model numbers on a bike. If it's a cruiser, they usually just have a cool name like the Vaquero or the Vulcan, the Bolt, the Striker, the Raider, the Shadow, you know. And they usually only leave these numbers on the sport bike chris i hope that uh, in lieu of a long shitty movie review i hope this long model code overview was kind of informative uh, and maybe entertaining so thanks bye and now for our weekly shitty movie review All right, baby, so this week's movie comes to you straight out of 1970. It's called Black Angels, and right off the bat, can I just say, uh, Jimmy? What was his name? Scraps. Scraps is gonna get Chana, man. Wham, bam, pow, you dig? So, if you can glean from from that what this whole movie is about, basically, uh, well, let me just tell you about this. If you watch it, you truly are shameless, and um, you should probably be checked into a mental institution. This movie looks like it was filmed and edited by a blind person, and I'm going to say that about the first 20 minutes, because it seems like they changed directors and editors about halfway through. But if you have epilepsy, definitely don't watch the the first uh, 10 or 20 minutes of this movie. So... Okay, so aside from the fact that it looks like it was both filmed and edited by a blind person, the Foley is also as terrible as fuck, and it's as if the whole movie was recorded in a studio from sound clips from, like, uh, any other movie that they could find. Even the dialogue is terrible. Uh, It's like a shitty kung fu movie at first. There are boobies... uh, I would say of all colors and varieties, but uh, just black and white. And I'd have to say that's a plus because a lot of times you uh, don't get a good variety of uh, ethnic or racial boobies in movies anymore. And so this one is an equal opportunity boobie shower. And not to be a uh, dirty sexist uh, for the ladies, there's a lot of dudes with uh, shirts off or just uh, their cuts on. So check that out. And you got to check out them pants, man. The, the, the tight pants, uh, just go watch the, like a Led Zeppelin concert from 1970. You'll know what I'm talking about. Okay, well, I, ca- I call it, thought he was going to be the main character, Scraps. He's not. He's, he's uh takes a dive here early in the movie. Spoiler alert! And he's more like Steve Urkel than Richard Roundtree. You'd think a biker dude is a, is a badass, but he kind of talks like this, and he's, he's a total chump. So it's funny that the portrayal of these dudes as, as bikers they're more just like a bunch of idiots so um this movie really is worse than a high school kung fu movie and i think i made a high school kung fu movie and it was terrible the f- the the soundtrack is awful um, the cut scenes are terrible. Half of the footage, at least like I'm telling you, the first half of this movie, it's as if somebody was just swinging a camera around on a fucking guide dog for a blind person. Uh, it's pointing at nothing half the time. I think they're trying to, uh, portray it from the motorcyclist view from the, from behind, you know, the handlebars of the bike, but it's really shitty. Um, they do use some of the special effects as torque does and, that's amazing considering that there's a 34 year gap between the two movies. They do. uh, I I watched the trailer for torque and there are a lot of, Hand, uh, it's almost like Evil Dead where he's putting the chainsaw on, or like the A team, you know, when they're welding something, and it's just a bunch of fast cut scenes between uh, stupid activities. And Torque has it, whoom, you know, they'll show a hand twisting the throttle, and there'll be like an explosion sound, and then all of a sudden, it's just showing, you know, like a back tire. This has all of that. I mean, I think the guys, uh, might maybe the guys that filmed uh, this movie came back to film Torque thirty four years later, came out of retirement. So, I'm going to follow Chris Duhurst's ad- advice and keep this short and not ramble on about a hunk of shit because really, if it's a hunk of shit, who wants to hear, hear about it for 20 minutes, right? Uh, so, I'll just give you some highlights here. The sped up film and the chase scenes and the terrible cuts. I mean, I guess the first 10 minutes is worth watching if you don't have epilepsy be- because you'll see some pretty surreal shit. Uh, the gay guy that delivers beer halfway through the movie, uh, the bikes that look like they were born free last year, uh, talk about, uh, the seventies coming back. Um, all the fight scenes, all the fight scenes. That's all I have to say about that. Uh, Frenchie, the character Frenchie. And I forget his name, but the guy with this famous uh, line from the movie, he just peed all over me. And uh, the last but not least, the pet cougar. And I don't mean an uh, older woman that's still sexy. I mean like a mountain lion. And if I need to say more than that about this movie, then it truly is lost on you. And uh, you're just going to have to watch it for yourself. And that's all I'm going to say about this. That has been our show for the week. Thanks, everybody, who was, uh, gave us some great input And all the ideas that came in this week uh, We're picking up steam as far as um, Listener input And thanks Chris from New South Wales For giving us uh, A some advice on cutting our movies a little shorter. So you know what I did, Chris, I made the boring shit, like, uh, reciting VIN numbers even longer. How do you like that one, man? Let me know. Let me know if I should cut that back too. I'd like to thank Chris Sime for the wonderful interview. And like I said, he gave me enough material for five shows, but obviously, uh, Once I cut out most of my talking, it was 20 minutes long, and so I had to like expand it out. So, uh, Anyway, we're going to have Chris on later in the year to see how he's doing, and there's more to come from him in the next episode. Our sorry list. Well, should we be sorry this week? I mean, I don't think we should really be sorry. We had a wonderful interview that took up most of the show. I guess we'll say sorry to uh, Suzuki... Honda, Yamaha, BMW, Harley Davidson, the guys that we mentioned in our model code segment. Um I guess we'll say sorry to anybody who has ever watched Black Angels. Oh, and another spoiler for the movie. Uh, black Angels isn't the gang. That's what they call the cops. So, uh who knew? It's not about a black biker gang at all. And I do have to say that the uh, the white biker gang is very uh (laughs) anti-racist and he actually asked one of the dudes if he could uh, take off the the white sheet for a little bit and just get along with the other gang so i thought that was pretty cool back in the 70s they were coming together so yeah sorry to you if you, you had to just sit through a second review of the shittiest movie on earth um we're sorry to model codes we're sorry to vin numbers we are sorry to loris boz for flying off his bike sorry to michelin for making a shitty tire and making a fella crash we're sorry to showy we're sorry to Walla. we're sorry to all the hipsters out in the palm strings area sorry to the city of waukesha waukesha wisconsin sorry to honey sorry to jixes sorry to extended swing arms Sorry to an 80 horsepower shot of nitrous standing you up like Jesus yanked your collar, baby. We're sorry to the Smurfs. I'm sorry to Krampus. And I think that's it. I would like to give a huge shout out not only to Chris Singsime, and we're going to feature his artwork and some pictures on the website or on the blog, and also to Motorcycles and Misfits who I'd have to say that's how he heard about us. And if they hadn't initially posted, uh, one of our episodes up there, I don't think he would have found us. So uh, a big thanks to you guys. Still my number one favorite podcast in the world. Um, yeah, this has been a great show. We'll see you guys next time.
3: You know, and you're,
2: right. you're not, I'll- I'll-
3: give them a look a see. <laughs>
2: Great. I probably have a dull ADD And I just It's going to sound like I'm doing an interview in a dryer It's hard to know
0: self-control The last one's the body package Pajamagram
2: And I don't care, you know How far I'm going to make it into it Alright, are you there? A pre-American history Shooey
0: This brought me thinking about Net job
2: Alright, are you there? And, uh You know, it's hard for me I see something and I want to do it Net job I mean, that's like where Everybody kind of had a Net job I know that you know Wisconsin is not near Texas. I mean, if it depends on how far you want to go back, already right, there now?
3: I'm here, so
2: <laughs> so
3: yeah, <laughs> that job.
0: that job.